Thanks for joining us for this message from the Real Life Student Ministries of James River Assembly. For more information, visit us at reallifeonline.com or facebook.com slash reallife. Well, good morning. Hi, how's it going? All right, good to see you. Glad you're here. All right, all right. Hey, all right, all right, good. Good to be here. I'm glad you guys are excited. It's going to be a good day. It's fun. Real life, hey, we call it life for a reason, right? We're going to have some life today, have some fun. It's going to be full real. All right, if you have your Bibles, grab them and turn to the book of Psalm, chapter 106. Psalm 106. We are starting a new series today called Closer. Now, don't get the idea that right now you need to nudge a little closer to the person next to you, all right? It's nothing like that. All right, we're talking about worship, worship, and we're talking about getting closer to God and further from this world. That's what this series is all about, because the raw reality and truth is we were all designed and created to worship. Think about it. How and why is it so easy for us to get really excited and just crazy when it comes to different things? Like, like okay, just in a couple weeks, football season will be upon us. Somebody somewhere do something, all right? Like, it just, it was like music to my ears earlier this week. Uh, we were at the house, and Becky, my lovely, wonderful, awesome wife, was like, how many more days till football? And I was like, yes, that is a great question. Not enough, you know, or too many, or however you look at it. But like, I mean, she, she loves football. I love football. Football season is almost here. I'm really pumped. I'm really excited. I follow some people on Twitter um, just because they're football players. I want to see what they say about like the season coming up. I'm getting excited. And, and like you think about it, it's like, what's so exciting about some guys like sweating all the time, grunting and like hitting each other, wearing these pads and just like, just like trying to knock each other's head off, all while throwing this piece of leather around. Well, it's raw reality is that we, deep down inside, we not only like entertainment, but we, we often have this desire to, to put ourselves uh, and to cast ourselves with, with some sort of just love and affection and adoration or something else, simply because we are designed to worship. We worship something, we worship someone all the time. Like there's a lot of uh, people that I know that get really excited about different events. Like there were some people who went to a concert last night to see Reliant K. And they're like, yeah, it was awesome. It was crazy. Yeah. Oh, I got the t-shirt. I got the CD. Do they even sell CDs anymore? Is that like, is that still in? CDs are still in? They're still cool? Like, sort of, maybe. I don't know. Like, you just buy digital copies these days. I don't know. But like, we get really excited and passionate about different things because deep down, we are wired to do so. We are made and designed to get excited and to be passionate, to ultimately worship someone or something. Deep down, the whole purpose and reason why you're here today is so God has given you an opportunity to worship him. We just worship God in song, and we are designed and created to worship God. Now, that doesn't mean that just all day, every day, you're walking around, you're like, our God is greater, our God is stronger. Sorry, Mom, can't, can't clean my room. Worshiping, that's what I'm made and designed to do. 
No, like, yeah, we're designed to worship. That doesn't mean just like full on all the time. Like, throw the lyrics up on the screen, Dad. I'm going to second verse. You know, like, it's nothing like that. Worship is way beyond just a worship set. It's way beyond lyrics on a screen. It's way beyond a band who puts in tons of time to practice, to get things right, to get all the transitions, to make sure they know all the notes and all the chords so that they can play and lead us into a time of worship on Sunday mornings. Worship is way beyond that. It's how you live day in and day out. And as we look in this study, as we look through this series on closer, on how to get closer to God and worshiping God, we often will look at the book of Psalms. Psalms 106 is what we're going to look at today, and the opening two verses is really great stuff, and you read these verses, and it's kind of the same theme in the opening of a lot of different chapters, especially in this section of the book of Psalms, but you find here in Psalm 106, it says this, if you have your Bibles and you have them open and you're ready to read it, let me hear you say, "Uh uh-huh. If you're really excited because God's word is living and active and it's sharper than any two-edged sword and it's going to change you from the inside out today and you're ready to read it, let me hear you say, Shaboya. All right, everybody's saying the reading of God's word right here. Psalm 106 verses 1 and 2 says this, praise the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Who can proclaim the mighty acts of the Lord or fully declare his praise? God, we come before you today. And we realize how good and great and awesome you are. And it is hard to even begin to scratch the surface of how much we really could and should adore and praise you. It's hard to declare how great you are. But today, we try to do so not just in word, but with our actions, with the way that we live. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We pray that you would speak to us in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. As you turn to your neighbor, as you're seated, say, closer. But then actually scoot further away. No, I'm just kidding. You don't have to do that. You mess up all the seating, and then Loftus is going to get all upset because he spent hours putting these chairs exactly where they need to go. Psalm 106 says here, you know, give thanks to the Lord. You know, his love endures forever. He is so great. We can't even begin to describe how awesome and wonderful he is. And as you read these two opening verses, you're like, wow, this is going to be really good. This is going to be really powerful. This is going to be a great chapter. Get out the highlighter. Get out the pen. Let's take some notes. God's going to speak to me. But then as you keep reading this chapter, you're like, what in the world is going on here? Because the psalmist takes a different turn. Instead of talking about how great and awesome God is, he starts to talk about how many times we as humanity have just totally messed up on the reality of how good and great God is. And in particular, he uses the example of the Israelites, God's people that we read throughout the Old Testament where God is leading them and guiding them. And he uses this example of how sometimes we can really mess up and fall short of worshiping this one true God. And it says here, as you read down in verse 19 through 21, it reads like this, at Horeb they they made a calf and worshiped an idol cast from metal. They exchanged their glory... For an image of a bull which eats grass. They forgot the God who saved them, who had done great things in Egypt. They forgot the God who saved them and had done great things in Egypt. What the psalmist is writing about is actually found in Exodus chapter 32. And you can just flip back to Exodus 32 and follow along because that's where we're going to look at today as an example of worship. Psalm, uh, Psalm 106 is, is alluding to this story here 
of Exodus chapter 32 where the Israelites have experienced something that's like, it's just crazy uh, leading up to this point. It's like you, you can't find it in any other time in history where God is just truly just blessing and doing these crazy, powerful, awesome things. And in the midst of it, the psalmist reminds us that they had forgotten the God who had shown up and delivered them and freed them. So to understand it, to understand what I'm talking about today, we're going to look at Exodus chapter 32, talking about worship here, getting closer to God. It says this, Exodus 32 verses 1 through 5, 1 through 4, we'll throw it up on the screen as well. It says this, when the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Aaron answered them, take off your gold earrings that your wives and your sons and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. What you have is this story here of these Israelites, and if you, you got to understand this whole thing, so we're going to backtrack even more. All right, I'm going to give you just like a quick synopsis here of the story of the Israelites. The Israelites were in bondage. They were, they were slaves for 430 years in Egypt. That's a long time. 430 years where they've been beaten, they've been broke down, they've been starved, they've been just like mistreated in every way possible, making them build all these crazy things, making it really hard on them. Just like, you know, hey, you're out of line, and they're just whacking them with sticks. I mean, they're just, they're just brutal people that are ruling them for 430 years. After 430 years of them calling out to God saying, oh, God, save me. What does God do? He sends Moses on the scene. Moses shows up, goes up to Pharaoh, and he says, let my people go. And after a bunch of crazy series of events with different miracles where God sends these different plagues, you got locusts going crazy, you got like these big hailstones crushing things, you got like animals just falling over dead, you've got water turning into blood, you just got all this nastiness going on, flies everywhere. I mean, it's just like, imagine how nasty um, like life can get. That's what's going on in Egypt. And then all for the final thing, God sends this death angel who goes through all the camp of Egypt and kills the firstborn son of every single person who isn't covered by the blood of the different lambs that the Israelites have sacrificed to protect them. You find that through all this, finally, Pharaoh's like, enough, get out of here. And so the Israelites leave Egypt after 430 years of slavery. Not only do they leave, but as they're leaving, the Egyptians are so glad that they're leaving that they just like start giving them all their jewelry and all their cash. They're like, I'm so glad you're gone. Get out of here. And so they're like celebrating that they're leaving. They're giving them all this stuff and they're piecing out, which is a really cool story. And you would think at that point, they're like, thank you, God. You are so awesome. You are so great. But as you find, like, it's kind of crazy what happens with the Israelites because in Exodus 12, they're freed, they're delivered. But in Exodus 13, all of a sudden, they're like, God, you freed us just to kill us? What's the deal? Because all of a sudden, as they're leaving Egypt, they come along and there's this big old body of water. 
It's the Red Sea. And there is no way to get to the other side. And wouldn't you know it, all the Egyptians are coming after them once again. They're wanting to take them hostage because they're really ticked off that they have all their money. They took all their gold. And, you know, like, and, and they're like, you know, it was kind of nice having all those slaves around. So we want them back. God shows up on the scene and delivers them once again. Because he has Moses take his little walking stick, put it in the water, and right then, the water splits. And there's like 650,000 men alone that was part of the Egypt, uh, part of the Israelite camp. So, you know, count in all the wives and the daughters and the sons and the grandmas and all that. There's like a million people, right? And they all walk through this sea of water on dry ground. As they're walking, here comes the Egyptians chasing them, saying, hey, we better, we better kind of get this thing moving, all right, Moses? So, like, they're hurrying along. They're going through, and they're like, hey, check it out, dolphin. You know, like, it's just swimming around. They're like, this is crazy. And they get to the other side. All of a sudden, once they get to the other side, the water goes, and it washes out all those Egyptians that were chasing them. God saves them once again. They're on the other side, and they're like, yeah, freedom. What's up now? What? I don't even know how to swim, and I got to the other side. You know, like, they're excited about what's going on. And you would think at that point, they're like, God, you are so great. You are so wonderful. But it doesn't take very long at all. You skip two chapters over, and all of a sudden, they're whining, and they're complaining again. And they're like, God, we're out here in this desert. You freed us just to make us, like, just dry up and and just wither away because, like, there's only one place here to drink water, and it tastes nasty. This isn't fair. So God, you know, hears them whining and complaining and tells Moses, hey, check out that piece of firewood over there. Go grab it, throw it in the water. He throws it in the water, and all of a sudden, the water becomes sweet. It's like a Brita filter all of a sudden. And they're like, oh, this is good. This is good. This is nice. I'll take some more of that. You know, like they're, they're done sipping on the haterade for a while, and everyone is peaceful once again. But then you keep reading, and in the very next chapter, they're like whining and complaining, God, oh, you, you freed us, and then you helped us across the sea, and then you gave us this water, but I'm hungry. And they're whining, they're complaining, and they're a bunch of crybabies, like a million people just whining all the time. At that point, if I was God, I'd be like, stop. And just like thump them off the face of the earth. But instead, what does he do? He sends like fresh Lambert's rolls every morning, right? He sends manna, which is like God's heavenly bread. He sends it to him. He's like, hot roll. And he's just like sending it down every single morning to them. And they're like, what? And on top of that, he's not only sending Lambert's rolls, but he's sending them quail. Like Duck Dynasty guys would just be going ballistic if there were that many birds all around. They'd be like, hey, Jack, look at this. You know, like they'd be going crazy. Right? So there's this bird and bread everywhere. They were feasting. At that point, don't you think they'd be like, oh, this is good. All right. God's got us. He's got this thing under control. Nah. All right? Because then you go and they're whining, they're complaining again. Like, we got all this food, but I'm thirsty again. So, you know, Moses, he's all ticked off. He talks to God. God talks to Moses. He takes a stick and he smacks a rock. And all of a sudden, this rock just like splits and water starts gushing out of it. And they're like, Eureka! You know? And so, like, they go over to it and it's like this never ending water fountain. And they're they're drinking out of it and it's good stuff. And God continues and continues and continues and continues to do miracle after miracle after miracle. Then they show up to this base camp here at the bottom of this mountain. And Moses says, Hang on here. I'm going to go up to the mountain and I'm going to seek God's face. He goes up to the mountain. 
As Moses is up there, the people start getting a little whiny, start complaining a little a bit here and there, and they're starting to freak out because they don't know when Moses is going to come back down. That's what you start reading in chapter 32. They're like, I don't know what happened to our leader. He's up down the mountain. God knows what's going on up there. Only him and Moses, you know, you never know. I don't even know if he's coming back down. Hey, Aaron, why don't you make us a golden calf? Let's start worshiping this fake idol instead. And all of a sudden, instead of remembering what God had done so many different times for them, they, they decide to take things in their own hands and they make a golden calf and they start worshiping it, saying, this is who brought us out of Egypt. This is who has helped us cross the Red Sea. This is who has fed us. This is who is protecting us. This is who I will live for. This is who I will serve. This is who I will worship. I read that and I'm like, that is absurd. That is ridiculous. Now, for some of us, we've read this story. We've heard this story a lot growing up in church. But to paint this little illustration, I'm going to show you just how ridiculous and absurd this might be. I don't have a golden calf because, you know, I'm not loaded or anything, and I don't have a bunch of earrings um, to melt down to make into a calf. So what I have instead is a silver pony. All right, so I've got uh, just a little silver pony here, not a golden calf, uh, but it's, it's a pretty sweet silver pony. Uh, it rocks and everything. Dude, it rocks. Right? And it even has sound effects. Let me see if I can get it to. Oh, wait. Yeah, that's the best part right there. All right, so we've got like this silver pony here. Now, imagine like there's a million people. And all of a sudden, they're like, this is it. This is who has freed us. <laughs> Miracle maker right here. Hallelujah, silver pony, God almighty, great at, no. That's what they're doing. That's what they're doing at the base of this mountain. They're worshiping this most absurd thing that they've created with their own earrings. It's dumb. And they're like, God, this, this right here, this saved our lives. Thank you, pony. I would ride you right now, but, you know, it'd take a little while because a million of us would want to ride you, and that's just weird because you're our God now, and, uh, well, I don't want to be, you know, disrespectful and all because you've done so much for me already. And you're like, what in the world? That's what they do in this story. It's crazy. But there are two lessons we can learn as we look at this story, as we're talking about worshiping God and drawing closer to God. There's two things we can learn from as we look at the Israelites. If you're taking notes, I hope that you are. It's important to write down what God speaks to you every week. The first point is this. Don't get caught up with the problems of the present. Don't get caught up with the problems of the present. See, the issue with the Israelites is that they couldn't look two feet past what they could see. Like right in front of them, they're just like, I've got this problem. I'm really hungry. God, you're going to kill us, aren't you? Like, I'm starving. I haven't had anything to eat in four hours. And God's like, zip it. Hot roll, you know, and he throws food their way. They're like, I'm I'm hungry, but now I'm thirsty and there's nothing to drink. They're whining and they're complaining. They can't look too feet past them, and all of a sudden, what does God do? God has Moses strike a rock, and there's water. They can't look beyond the present situation to realize that God is always at work, and he's always taking care of them. 
And for a lot of us, we have issues worshiping God. We have issues getting closer to God because we are so caught up with the problems of the present. We can't look past the certain situations right in front of us and move past it, get to a point where we can just praise and honor our God. Instead, we're just like, God, what about this? What about that? And they don't like me. And they said this. And my mom's doing that. My dad said this. We come to God whining and complaining. You haven't done this for me. And I thought you were going to do this. Did you do this just to do that? And we're just like the Israelites where we're so caught up in the present that we don't realize that even in the midst of a desert, God can still be at work. Because what they didn't realize that as they were making a false God at that moment, God was talking to Moses saying, tell my people who I've done so many things for, priority number one, don't make any other gods before me. At the moment that they were building an idol was the same moment that God was giving Moses the Ten Commandments. And the first commandment was, thou shalt have no other gods before me. They got ahead of themselves because they were so caught up with the problems of the present. We're in this desert. It's hot. I got sand where I don't want it to be. And this is not fun and it's not fair. I'd rather just go back to Egypt. Yeah, I got beat down all the time, but it wasn't so bad as living out here in the desert. We've been out here four months now. This is ridiculous. When are we going to get to the promised land that we've been told about? And they can't get their eyes past the present to realize that God was still at work, even in the midst of their desert. And for us today, I want you to understand and know that no matter what you're going through, no matter what season in life you may be finding yourself in right here, right now, today, God is at work. And God wants to do something in you and through you. But you can't get caught up in the problems of the present. Because when you do, you're going to miss out on what God's really trying to do. God's trying to set you up for a life that you can experience a life to the fullest is what he promises. An abundant life, a life overflowing. In the midst of it, yeah, there are going to be trials, there are going to be hard times, but don't get so caught up in it that you miss out on what God's really doing and you end up worshiping the wrong thing. The second point that I want us to look at, the second lesson you can learn from, is don't forget who provided in the past. Don't forget who's already provided in the past. God didn't send his son to this earth to live a perfect life, to take our place and our punishment of our sin and to die on a cross to, to be the perfect sacrifice for you and for me, just to leave us up to chance and just be like, hey, good luck with life. That's it. But he's continually providing and doing miraculous things in our midst. He's walking with us. He is with us daily. He wants to be with you. He wants to bless you. And he's done that so many times before. Don't be like the Israelites who have forgotten who provided in the past. They not only couldn't see two feet in front of them, but they also couldn't remember what just happened yesterday. They were so quick to forget they had like short-term memory loss or something. I don't know what their problem was, but they're like a million people. Don't you think someone in the group would be like, hey, moron, don't you remember what God did for us yesterday? Zip it. But instead they're all like, oh, we're gonna starve. God's gonna kill us out here. 
God doesn't work like that. He doesn't just bring you along to these different points and then just be like, all right, I'm out, peace. See you later, good luck. But he promises that he'd be with us every step of the way. Don't forget what God has done for you in the past already. God has done some powerful, life-changing things in us. Don't forget that. Because when you do, you end up starting to make silver ponies. You start to make these false gods because you forget who has done so much and instead you're like, oh, I don't remember how I got to where I am today. It was probably, it's probably just because of how awesome I am. Yeah, it was like me who did all this. It was me. And we start to build this false idol of self because we quickly forget who's provided for us already in the past. You're like, I don't, I'm not building any idols. I'm not building any silver ponies or golden calves. Just evaluate how you live your life right now. Because worship is more than just singing a song. Worship is more than just a worship set built into a service on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night. But worship is a lifestyle. And think how you're worshiping God right now. Are you truly worshiping the God who has done so much for you? Or are you worshiping some other idol that you may have built already? Just think about it. Like, what do you do when you wake up first thing in the morning? Do you wake up just like with this sense of awe, like, God, thank you so much. You're such a good God. You didn't even have to let me wake up. Man, you're a good God. I just want to, I just want to serve you and live for you. I just want to hear from you today. I'm going to open up my word and just see what you have to say to me. You're like, speak to me through your word today. Speak to me through your Bible. Or are you quick to wake up, look in the mirror and be like, oh, oh man, I need to do something about that. See, you know, like you shower and you put on deodorant you brush your teeth and you start taking care of, you know, just whatever you need to do each and every morning. And before long, you realize that you've like, especially during the summer, hours have passed by to where you have either wasted it on your little device that you look at right before you go to bed and right when you wake up in the morning called the smartphone. You grab it and you're looking to see what different things people have posted about you or without you and you're upset or you're excited and you're like, oh man, look how many likes I got or look how many comments I got or how many followers I got through the night. And we're looking and we're looking and we're looking because ultimately it's all about us. And if that's not the case, if you're not wrapped up in social media, and if that's not your world that you dive into right when you wake up in the morning, then maybe for some of you, you just get up and all of a sudden you just grab the TV remote and you're like, and then your brain just goes for like the next 17 hours as you're just like, just getting dumber and dumber by the breath, you know, as you're watching TV. And then before long, you know, you're like, you're getting ready to go to bed, and you're like, look at the time. It's like 2.30 in the morning. I am tired. And man, I just didn't, I just couldn't find any time to get in God's word today. I was just so busy doing nothing. Man, well, better luck tomorrow, you know? And maybe like as we're laying in bed, our mind's racing, and you're like, oh, what can I do tomorrow? Play more video games. I could text so-and-so, go out to the pool, could hang out. I could, 
Well, there's not much more I could do tomorrow. Well, let's see what's going on online. So you grab your phone, you're looking, whatever. And all, you're like, it's all about you all the time. Your world is just continually evolved around you. And what you have done is you've taken the earrings, you've melted them down, and you have built an idol of yourself. And you're worshiping yourself. That's how you're living day to day. And because of that, you're no different than these Israelites who are saying, look who has delivered us from Egypt. Bam! Today you're saying, look who I'm living for. Bam! I am awesome. Oh yeah, almighty. What's up? You know, like you just think you're just the bee's knees. You're like, what is bee's knees? I don't know. It's just an old saying, okay? Just trust me. But the fact is, a lot of us build these false idols that we worship. And as we begin this series, I want us to evaluate who and what we worship today. The worship team's going to come back into place, and we're going to go back into that song, singing how great and mighty our God really is. Because he is the great I am. That There is no one greater than God. God stands alone above all. He is Lord of all. There is no one who rules over him. He is in full control today. And even in your present circumstance, it may not seem like God may be at work or in control. It may seem as though you're in a desert and you're looking to the left, to the right, and you're like, I don't even know what's going on anymore. I'm here to tell you that God's still at work. Don't get caught up in the problems of the present. And don't forget who's provided in the past. If God was provided for you so many times before, there's no way he's going to stop now. But God is going to continually work in you. He's going to continually work through you because that's God and that's who he is. That's what he does. But for some of us in here, we're like, nah, I don't think so. Because see, God was busy making a list of rules for the Israelites. Why would we want to worship someone who just tells us what we can and can't do? Sometimes love comes with direction, but ultimately what you find throughout this story with God and the Israelites, it wasn't God being like, well, you messed up again and you fell short here and you forgot how I did this and this and this and this. And he starts reminding all of them, no. What does God do? He performs another miracle. And then when they forget, what does God do? He performs another miracle. And when they start whining and complaining and they forget again, what does God do? He performs another miracle. Time after time after time after time, instead of punching them in the throat like I would have, God performed miracles. The same is true for us today. Time after time after time, no matter what we've done, no matter what we've gone through, God is loving and gracious enough to not really give us what we honestly deserve. But he loves us so much that he continues to lavish his love upon us. He forgives us. He moves on and he says, you know what? I'm going to do something in your midst again. You may have forgotten what I just did in your life just a couple weeks ago at camp. That's cool. That's fine. I'm going to do something new today. You may have forgotten what I spoke to you just a couple days ago in my word. But today, I'm going to speak to you again. I'm going to do something new in your life again. Why? Because God is that loving and he is that gracious. He's that good of a God. He doesn't hold our wrongs against us. He's not mad at you. He's madly in love with you. And he wants what's best for you. He wants you to experience life and life to the fullest. And in our response, how can we not just say, God, I want to get closer to you. 
because you love me that much.